G'day, people of the People's Game. It's Jack here. I hope you're enjoying whatever you're getting up to in the post-grand final phase of the sporting year that is 2018. We're really lucky this week to get Shannon Gill into the studio with us. Shannon Gill is one-third of the podcast that is the greatest season that was 1993. If you're a prime footy nerd, I'm pretty sure you've probably run into it. Um, so Shannon was his, a sixth grade student in 1993, uh, young Melbourne supporter. We were really lucky sort of to have him in and just chat about how the podcast came about and how the podcast was made and also to just sort of reminisce a little bit about his nostalgic memories of 1993, which I actually can't remember because I am a true 90s kid and I wasn't around until... 1994. So yeah, sit back, whatever you're doing, it's a beautiful day, beautiful week planned weather-wise, so put the feet up, grab a beer, and have a listen to how one of the best footy podcasts going around at the moment was made. Shannon, welcome to The People's Game. Thank you for having me. This concept, I know that some of the listeners listening to this podcast will probably know uh, about the podcast that you are on, but I just want you to talk us through the original concept to start I'll, with. I'll give you the brief pitch that we, we told people around town before we actually got it going. Um, Dan Bredig, Adam Collins and myself had this put this proposition that 1993 was the best AFL season ever. We had reasons for it because it was such an even footy season, but also as we, and and we thought that as kids because we were all young kids at the time, but we also thought there was a bunch of stuff that um, was not only big as far as uh, stories or or, um, issues in the game, but also was a, a very much a hinge point between I suppose the the amateur era and the professional era, and what really, well, for me in particular, thought that was it was the year that the AFL actually sort of took off. The national competition had been around for a while, but it was the year where I, where I think it really took off. So the idea was initially uh, Dan and Adam were going to write a book, and and I was kind of just around the edges, thinking <laughs> what a great idea that is, and I and I written a few things about the 93 season under my um, false name that I used when I was working in jobs where I couldn't write stuff about mm-hmm. <laughs> about anything. And um, we were talking a lot about it and then I kind of shoehorned myself into it too. Then we got to the point, 25 years, they, they thought we've got to do it in 2018 because it's the 25 year anniversary. We got to probably mid 2017 and there'd been a lot of research done, but... <laughs> There was no book kind of happening at that point, and we uh, we had a chat and went, well, why don't we do a podcast? That might be easier. I wouldn't say it was easier, <laughs> but it was probably logistically easier to make it happen. And, um, yeah, that's how it sort of got started. So how did you meet Dan and Adam? How did that all come about, these pub conversations that led to the podcast? Yeah, the, the, the famous pub conversations. I, I'm not sure if I was actually in one of these pub conversations. I, was, <laughs> mate, I might have been. I might have been. Uh, Dan and Adam. See, Adam, I knew years ago. So Adam was a political staffer. Yep. Worked for... Rudd and others and Wayne Swan and others and I was working at Cricket Australia doing comms but also doing a bit of government relations so I met Adam that way and quickly we worked out we were both footy and cricket geeks basically and um, so we we got to know each other then through various jobs we were in contact Uh, Dan well I was working at cricket so I knew of Dan but I didn't really know him that well Um, and then but when Adam went into doing cricket journalism, um, him and he and Dan became pretty close, and I sort of was weaved into the <laughs> the crew through that because um, while they do cricket, and I've worked more in cricket than footy, uh, we obviously have a love of footy too. So that's how the the crew came together. 
Mm. And so you've written a few pieces under your actual name about this for the Raw, which I found sort of stuff about the footy show and a few other bits and bobs. So when did this sort of transform from something that was going to be a written thing into a podcast? What was the catalyst for that? Yeah, look, I think it was a timing thing, really. We were all busy because we've got jobs. Now, they have much more fun jobs than me because they they write and are creative about um, sport. (laughs) My job is trying to make people write good things about certain things within sport. But anyway, we'll leave that to one side. But um, we, yeah, we, we had this, this discussion was ongoing and it just got to a time point where the suggestion was, well, how about we do a podcast? Because it was, you know, everyone was doing a podcast. And we probably thought that this is a podcast with a difference. Lots of people are doing footy podcasts and they're all great, but a lot of it is about what happened on the weekend and what's going to happen next weekend and these are the issues in the game and this this player is doing this and that sort of thing. But that was not what we were on about and we just thought this could quite work quite well um, by having those voices from back then part of it. Um, so it, it kind of went along that way and it, it's, look, to be, to be honest, it probably wouldn't have even happened. Um, we were probably... Uh, if we go back to the start of this year, we were sort of going around to different people, sort of pitching it, I suppose, in some way, just to see if we could get some studio time and that sort of stuff. But it wasn't really sort of resonating with people. They weren't quite sure what we were on about. <laughs> then um, Dan and Adam were in South Africa covering... Ball tampering and various other problems? Yes, covering, uh, yeah, cricket and sandpaper. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and not, and ju- but during that time, so SEN covered that series, and it was very late in the day that SEN were going to cover that series. They did, and Jerry Waitley went over, and Jay Mueller, who had just gone to SEN, went over to produce. Adam, being there, um, ended up well, ended up calling calling um, test matches on, on the SEN broadcast. To which post game. As happens on a, on the cricket tour, as such, um, a bunch of journalists end up um, eating dinner and having a few beers together after each day of play. It's sort of a, a bit of a thing that happens on the cricket scene, and um, and uh, over those <laughs> uh, meals and beers, the the idea was sort of pitched to Jay because he he's got a uh, I suppose a sideline sort of um, production company called Bad Producer Productions which make a lot of podcasts mm-hmm. so um, it, it went from being a discussion between the three of us about um, hmm, let's put in some money to buy some recording gear and then work out what the hell we're going to do to hey we've got someone who knows what they're doing and they're going and, and then they brought Jay brought lots of great ideas to us about how we can make this something more than just um, three guys talking in a room reminiscing yeah so he comes in when did you sort of decide on your standard sort of format for each episode where you have like your interview a bit of discussion inside you sort of voicing the introduction when did that become something that you then realized was pretty easy to transfer through the whole series yeah it it was an interesting one we we did i mean obviously we'd done a lot of research about i mean we had a lot of it in our heads let's let's be honest mm. we're we're geeks we're pretty geeks so <laughs> we know that we knew that stuff and and we cross referenced it with the AFL tables website which is just the best thing ever if you're a footy stats geek but um <laughs> the the next thing was actually going, okay, what are we going to talk about? So we, we've, we've got all these great ideas. Now, we, we roughly, for probably 12 months, we roughly had an idea of these would be the chapters of a book. Um, they quickly been tra- they were transferable to these would be the episodes of a podcast series. So we went through that and tried to look at, okay, what's relevant and who would we get in for each episode? Now, we had some ideas of having multiple people in, but it was... You know, it was logistically hard, but also I think the having the right person in allowed us to explore it quite deeply and that long form of doing it. But we did need a an intro or set up to put it in context because we wanted to make sure that um, people understood why we were speaking to this person and the background, why this story was important to this season. And then the summary was something that probably organically happened because, well, you need to tie these the loose ends up, but... I think it provided a, a good way for us to um, put in what we'd learned 
um, out on during that interview and, and sort of summarize our thoughts going into it and how our thoughts had changed after it. Mm. And you mentioned off air that Colo was overseas for a lot of the production, so it was never necessarily straightforward. So how did you guys deal with that as a challenge? And you don't really pick it up in any of the episodes. Yeah, giving away the secrets here, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, Colo, so Adam was never was never in the studio with us, which I'm I'm hope it's great that you said you never noticed it because mm. um, that's fantastic and that's a testament to Jay and um, Tom, our other um, production person, who made it sound good. Which, as I said before, we were we were mucking around with should we buy some recording equipment? Like we were we, were, we had the concept and the idea, we just didn't have, have the means the, yeah. the means to do it. So. Um, yeah, Adam was in the UK the whole time covering cricket, uh, which he does each each winter. Well, actually, I think now he England is his home and he covers <laughs> covers cricket in Australia in summer. But um, that that was a logistical challenge which, of which I would have no idea how to do. But uh, off the back of that, those meetings in South Africa uh, around sandpaper, they. <laughs> They had that. Jay assured them that this can happen and it can happen quite um, easily. We've, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. It all went over my head. But yeah, basically, it, it involved us um, setting aside a time every week, which was going to have to be, I think, it was five o'clock Wednesdays is what we did, um, because that was going to be the time. The time difference was going to allow Colo to actually get up, <laughs> um, not too early to do it. We would dial in. Um, over Zoom or something like that, and we would see Colo, and um, then the interview would happen. And look, the, I suppose the funny thing out of all this was that a lot of the people, particularly the first, some of the first people we brought in to do it, to do the interviews, um, it, they were a bit older, let's say. <laughs> so, so it was, it was certainly a bit of a um, a head spin for them in that. I mean, Okay, and who, 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 whose voice is this? Oh, this is Adam, and he's in the UK. Ah, okay, yeah. So it was, it was a, it was an interesting process. I think the first, the first one we, the first interview we did was with Ron Joseph, who, uh, to me, is probably still my, my favourite one. But he would probably be the oldest guy we interviewed, um, which you know, I, I'm not ageist, but, but, <laughs> but, but it, I'm sure it was, it was a bit unusual to him to, to sit in and we're doing this interview and all of a sudden this other voice comes over that we had on a screen somewhere and yeah, it was, it was quite different. The voice of God. Yeah. Um, so... Colo, Colo will probably like you saying that. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen back. It'll inflate his head. Um, so you got over a hundred thousand downloads. Did you foresee that when this started? Uh, in a word, no. No, we had no idea. Yep. Look, we thought it was a good idea. We thought it's the sort of thing that if we did it, if someone, sorry, if someone else did it, we'd love listening to it. But you never know, you never know how many other people might like that. You mm. might think, well, I think realistically we thought, well, and pro- look, probably the, other, the others were more um, bullish about it than me. I was, I'm a bit more conservative about those things and expectations. But um, I think we thought, well, there will be a, a market of people that we know. Oh, market. That sounds so wanky, doesn't it? By saying market, but there'll be a group of people we know in the industry. Yeah, a group of people we know around the place, who, because we're doing it, we'll we'll lap it up, and because they're interested in that sort of thing, if we do it well, they will enjoy it. But we didn't expect it to go as far as it did, which is a great thing. Um, but you know, looking back, well, I think. As Dan Shirney wrote an article about this as well, um, about sort of the footy nostalgia thing, and and if this wasn't a strategic thought, but it was probably there's there's been a thirst for that footy nostalgia thing, and I don't think anyone's really you know not many have met it, mm. um, but the success of the front bar, particularly this year, shows you know that is footy nostalgia basically the front bar. They they barely have a current person on, and they trawl through YouTube clips and and find, you know, great sort of um, kitsch kind of stuff from from the eighties or from whenever, and we can't get enough of it. I love it, and, and what we do is different to them, but it plays into that same, um, I suppose, that same 
sensibility of, of looking back because everyone is looking at the here and now and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you listen to radio through the week, if you listen, if you watch TV through the week, you listen to a lot of podcasts through the week, I don't know if there's much more you can find out about the now. <laughs> but there's still lots of stuff we can find out about back then. Yeah, and you kind of found that niche between connecting... 93 to now, which was obviously one mm. of the strengths of the podcast. I know on Nostalgia, Bob Murphy, I think, always said that Nostalgia is underrated. Yeah. Um, and I think there's definitely a huge market for that. Now, you mentioned YouTube. You mentioned looking at AFL tables. How big were the wormholes that you guys would disappear uh, down and you would just sort of surface like five days later? Yeah. Well, all of these wormholes were done after five o'clock after I went home. I just want to be really clear that I never did it at work. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, we did, but we'd been probably doing it for, well, a couple of years, a couple of years we'd been doing it. So, um, a lot of the stuff that we knew we wanted in, we already knew well before we started doing the series. So it was a matter of really just refining the notes that we'd already done during the, if it was, hey, we're, we're interviewing Robert Walls this week. Well, we already had a bunch of stuff that we'd looked at and then it was finding the next bits. And then, and then the interesting, like I actually found this really fun was that we would do the, do the interview and get the audio back. And then it was a matter of inserting the historical audio. So we had a lot of that already ready, but we always tended to find a couple of little gems um, that we hadn't already seen. So a really good example of that was, um, the Fitzroy episode with Robert Shaw where we had it was very late in the piece I think just not maybe in the week before we did the interview Dan found this Sports Sunday feature by Anne-Marie Sparkman where they put um they put a microphone on Robert Shaw for the whole day as he coached a match against North Melbourne which Fitzroy won which we featured quite heavily in Mm. that episode and We'd never seen that before, and for its time, I mean, it's a pretty. There's nothing else like that at its time, and this wasn't the. This was Channel Nine, who were not a broadcaster at the game, so it was quite rare, and um, so things like that, which we just sort of came upon, um, you know, really added to it. And, and again, those things were the things that Jay suggested we we incorporate and include, and, and was keen to do. So we. It made it a, I think it made it a lot more um, engaging than just the three of us reminiscing. Mm, yeah, for sure. And so one of the things you're really clear on at the start of the podcast is that it's not an opportunity to talk about your own childhoods. I'm going to take you there now, though. So 1993, I wasn't born. I was a 1994 baby. So yeah. after the greatest season that was. But you were how old? Uh, you know, giving my giving away my age, obviously. No, I was in grade six, so okay. eleven turning twelve. So quite a sweet spot for it to influence you in a big way. Yeah, and I think as a Melbourne supporter, you knew that the eighty-eight grand final was heartbreak. So, what do you actually remember about the year before you kind of went back and did all the research? What were your outstanding yeah, memories? Yeah, I, I remembered a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was in grade six. I had really good memories of that year for all sorts of reasons. And um, in fact, my primary school footy team made the quarterfinals of the state. <laughs> which is a heartbreaking thing, which is a podcast in itself. That people are still people are still pretty heartbroken. We got beaten by one point. Anyway, um, the yeah, look, my memories were pretty strong of that year. It was obviously Essendon had this great um, this 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 great resurgence that ended up in a flag. Um, I, I distinctly remember the Sunday Footy Show starting and how it changed the nature of. Um, how we looked at footy at that point. I remember the the Friday night show before the grand final. I actually didn't watch it live because I was a, I was a, was interstate on a family holiday. But I remember <laughs> getting a tape of it later and just wondering. Were you at the snow? No, 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 no. Hey, I'm a state school kid. I didn't. I never went in the snow. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, um, no. I was on the Gold Coast actually. Uh, in fact, watched the Essendon, watched the prelim and the grand final in a hotel room on the in the Gold on the Gold Coast. <laughs> My dad's a Carlton supporter, so it was a bad day. Um, but yeah, I remembered a lot about that period. Remember, like things like the Nicky Winmar stuff, um, and obviously it was a big deal 
and historically what was a big deal what he did at Victoria Park but at the time it was bigger that he'd walked out on the club the next week so those are the things that I tended to remember and the further you dug back into it it was bigger. I mean, the Brassy coaching Sydney. I mean, that was huge because Ron Brassy was this legendary figure. But I'd, I'd probably, I'd been too young to know him as a coach. Um, in the six or seven years he'd been away, or seven or eight years he'd been away. So this whole thing that Ron Brassy was back was just like, wow, it's Ron Brassy. This is, you know, the biggest legend the game's ever seen, and he's he's coaching. That's a that's huge. So a lot of the stuff we remembered. Remember the fact that Modra was a, you know, at Montreal and the Crows were such a phenomenon that year. Ablett doing what he did and going to full forward was huge. Um, it, most of it was there. It was just a matter of then deep diving into it a little bit more. Mm. Mm. So why did you end up supporting Melbourne? And by extension, why was Stephen Stretch your favourite Melbourne player? You've done some research, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> Where did you find this? Wormholes last night. Jeez, oh, I'm... I'm a bit worried about what else you might have found. Um, oh, this is this is this is self indulgent. This That's is fine. I'm happy with it. My my football supporting involvement is quite kind of weird, because okay, when I was born, um, my dad was president of his local footy club, West Preston Footy Club, um, who won the uh, Northern Footy League Grand Final this year. Just a, just a <laughs> shout out to the Roosters, and. They wore Footscray jumpers. Um, so as a baby, <laughs> and my dad was a Carlton supporter, but as a baby, I didn't have a Carlton supporter, a Carlton jumper. I had a Footscray jumper because I was along at the local footy games each week. So I was the very confused kid at this point in time when I started to work out what was going on. And I was wearing a Footscray jumper, so I thought about Footscray, but... You know, no one else back for Footscray in my family. It was really weird. Then at about five or six, I was like a bit of a free agent for a while. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, um, I can't break for Carlton. That's, that's, that's boring. I want to compete with my dad. <laughs> There's a similar story over here, is it? Okay, good. Well, I hope to hear this too. And um, anyway, long story short, Melbourne were coming good. Um, went to school and there's a few Melbourne supporting kids and, jumped on Melbourne it's been misery ever since but Stephen Stretch was my fact I had 18 on my back I don't know why I just maybe it was the name I don't know so did you emulate Stephen Stretch in the year 6 quarter final <laughs> primary school football team uh, um, no I, I, no no I, I tried to as a kid I, I really I because I, I, Stephen Stretch at that time was well he was a wing or half back but he used to run in off the wing so I used to think running off the wing off the square <laughs> um, I, I like to say I would have liked to have emulated his kicking skills and so forth and he took a few high marks so I probably did in some ways but no that that, that grade 6 uh, role was probably more of a Christian Petrarca style uh, explosive half uh, forward flanker <laughs> that's a big up just to um, Casey's with us so Casey's story was that uh, her Mildura dad wanted her to barrack for Richmond and she just liked saying no to him so she ended up picking a completely random team and barracking for West Coast well it's similarities similarities here and that makes me it doesn't mean we're bad kids no we're, we're good kids yeah I'm playing the producer role today people so I'm letting Jack run point on this and he's doing a great job but hearing that story Shannon just really warmed my heart and made me um <laughs> really feel connected to someone who had a similar story than mine because when I tell my story I always feel awful because I feel people judge me like mm. you did that to your poor father you wouldn't support the team that he went for and um, it actually turned out my brother and sister did the same things so that he never got his little <laughs> Richmond kids well, so people judge our family severely well, now <laughs> well I, I, I I'll tell this story about my brother because this is weirder um, I've got a brother a couple of years younger than me and at the time that I've picked Melbourne and we were weird kids a little bit. He <laughs> he picked the Brisbane Bears. Yes. Yeah, wow. So he's got an original Brisbane Bears, like a, oh. when he was five years old, an oh original Brisbane Bears jumper That's somewhere. Um, but he it didn't last long. He sort of went to Vic Kick, which wasn't Oz Kick, it was Vic Kick then, and wearing his Brisbane Bears, full, full kit Brisbane Bears. And um, yeah, I'd converted him to Melbourne in about 18 months. So. <laughs> 
and it's and it's been shit house ever since. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so you're right. Oh, those Brisbane Bears jumpers. I've been looking for one of them since I someone rolled one out at hockey training. I think I've mentioned this before, but yeah, rolled a, like a '80s yeah. Bears jumper out. I was like, that is amazing, and they are so good. There's, I think it's. Uh, retro footy guernseys and books occasionally come out with one, yeah. but you've got to jump in really quick. They've had like it's the long sleeve Brisbane Bears number. Well, he's got yeah somewhere probably at my parents' house there is a. I mean, it, <laughs> it's not going to fit. Me. It's not going to fit anyone. <laughs> it's going to fit a five year old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so but yeah, he didn't. Dad didn't get his wish to convert him to Carlton. I say to him, "Well, you should have bought me a Carlton jumper." You know, day dot. But yeah. yeah, no, I it was it was just this weird situation where I had a footscray jumper and it it just threw me, completely threw me. Mm. Yeah. But I loved that footscray jumper. So I was I did have a a spot in my heart when they won the grand final a few years ago. Yeah, I think we all did. The best thing with the, there's a footscray jumper that appears it's like an old woolen number mm. in an episode of Degrassi Junior yes. High. Do you Wheels. remember that? I could not I'm yeah. like and someone I think tried to actually track down how that ended up in the costumes that they had for these yeah. fake American high school kids. Yes. And I don't know I can't remember what the yeah, story that's, was. Yeah, that's that's I've seen that. That's fantastic. Yeah. And because you just look at it and you're just like Ooh, what? how how random would that be? Yeah, and it took like it went viral a few years yeah, back. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. And I I remember Degrassi Junior High when it first ran. <laughs> <laughs> was it Nickelodeon? It was, on, it was on Channel 2 in my day, but yeah. God, well, that shows shows my, my relative. Oh, well, you're young. Uh, yeah, because that was the thing. When I went back and I started, I had a bit of a, a watch of uh, the season that was yep. last night on YouTube with yeah. Drew Morford, and there's a there's, and that, a, pig, there's a pig on the ground. And, and that was great for us too because it, it, it wasn't a deep dive, but it just mm. refreshed all of our thoughts of, oh, yeah, that made sense. Yeah, well, I thought that happened. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. Yeah, and I just like I couldn't believe the things that stood out with Ruckman coming off the long run where they yeah. used to just run like it was like Dennis Lilly coming into bowl yes. and they'd ram into each other, bouncing the ball around the ground. Mm. Like, what? That's, that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and they'd never bounce it straight. There was no around no. the ground stoppage where the ball went straight up. Um, no deliberate or insufficient intent. There was times where blokes were just kicking for touch, and mm. I'm just I'm sat there going like, what is that? Yeah. Um, and what was the other one? Oh, no contact below the knees back then. It was a well, bit more a of a long, free for long way before that. that yeah. yeah, but when you kind of watch it now, what do you what do you think in retrospect um, about some of the rule changes? Look, I think I think it's a really interesting thing because I think there's a time point, and I've had this argument with friends of mine. And if you're of a certain age, and I, I, I'll make the cutoff point thirty, but I, I'm not saying that that's, you know the absolute if you are 30 or younger i reckon most people are, are, are aghast at the fact the afl are considering rule changes and i think that plays out on on twitter a lot because mm. that's where a lot of people play and um the the vitriol about the rule changes now i'm obviously older and it's just look i, I don't i don't dislike the game today but I watch a game from that time period and I just love the fact that there are no stop... Like, there's no stoppages. The, the game just runs. Mm. And the other thing that I love is that I think my love of footy was sealed at the, the day of the 1989 grand final. 21 goals aside, or 20, 21 to 20 goals aside um, game, Gary Abbott kicks nine and, like, he just... He's seen Gary Abbott senior, that is. And he becomes like even though I didn't barrack for his team, it's he's just the ultimate footy, you know, god as far as I'm concerned. Um whereas I look at today and I go, Buddy Franklin is probably as good as Gary Ablett mm. and does great things. I think Jack Rewalt could kick a hundred goals in a season every year if he if he was playing in nineteen ninety three. that's the thing I just I just I don't feel great about the fact that those things don't happen. I, I think, well, what, what would have happened in 1989? They would have put three blokes back <laughs> to 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 um, fill up Ablett's space, and not only would Ablett have only kicked four goals or five goals or whatever, he, you know, it would have reduced it. Not only that would have happened, Hawthorne instead of kicking 21 or 22 goals would have kicked 15. Geelong would have kicked 10, and it, you know. Is that as memorable as a 
but it's all it's all it's I think it's age relative because I've had mm. long arguments with people younger than me, mates younger than me, who think I'm out of my mind. So I'm I'm very open to the rule changes because I liked what I saw in '93. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it's a bit of a how long is a piece of string? Because I feel so my formative years, I guess, were probably 1999, 2000, yep. 2001. Yeah, and I. I feel stressed looking through AFL tables at some of the scores in yeah. 1993. I'm like, how have you let someone kick 200 points? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Jesus. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I look at the rule changes and I probably don't see the need for them in the same way that someone from an older yeah. generation does. Cause I can't remember. 93. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's, that's, it, it depends on what your point of view is. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong. And I, I genuinely think that what, the intention of it is to take the best of yesterday and the best of today and make it better again. Um, I'd love to see a player kick 100 goals. Now, but then I talk to people younger than me and they're like, who cares? <laughs> so um, that's just... That's just my sensibility yeah. on it. That's one I do remember, though, because like, mm. was, that was still happening yeah. in, sort of 10 years ago. And obviously even... Rewalt kicking 10, I remember listening to that in the car earlier in the mm. year and how big that was. And I was just like, that that's, wasn't, that in 1993, that was happening every week. Every week. It absolutely was. And there was something, my, my memories of footy at that time, which is sort of, um, you know, uh, it's quite personal to me, I suppose, is that I would be at the local footy and there was the, someone would have the radio, like the little radio and it would be, What's the score in the in the league? It's it was always in the league games, not <laughs> AFL. It was what what are the league scores? And they go, uh, Geelong's up by five goals, um, Hawthorne's up by three, yeah, Ablett's kicked eight, Dunstall's kicked ten. You know, that was, that was how things kind of hmm. were updated and it was always this you got you got home and you were like, Lock it's kicked twelve or you know, it was it was a thing, and I think it bred stars, and it bred. Um, well, certainly for me, as I said before, Ablett '89 Grand Final. That, that was, even though I was probably always into footy and was always going to be into footy, that was just like, couldn't think of anything better. It's yeah, it's... I, can't, I, can't, I can't think of any sporting moment that has made much as much effect on me as that. Yeah, day. it was the yeah. fact that people were kicking and like Ablett in '89 were kicking bags in losing teams. Like for yeah. Rewalt to kick ten, you're playing Gold Coast, who are feasible, probably as bad as anyone, mm. and Richmond have probably well, Richmond won by like eighty or ninety points. Mm. And it's, so that's the whereas this is it's like I think Ablett kicked what three or four bags of ten in losing in games losing in teams. Yeah, yeah. So he's oh, the the game where he kicked. 14 against Essendon, which is a sort of pretty famous game. 14 7 as well, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Like, it wasn't even like he it kicked. It wasn't like he kicked 14 1. Or yeah, something. like yeah. he actually could have feasibly kicked 20. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he did the same thing against, like, Melbourne Beach along that year in a similar sort of scoring game 22 to 20 goals. And, and, and that's actually in the podcast series, we talked a little bit about to coaches about that stuff and there's actually there's probably some stuff on the cutting room floor of, of us talking about tactics to some coaches um and yeah there was a sense that we you know you attacked it was the way to play the game actually in fact robert walls and robert walls told us about how he was coaching brisbane at the time and he said well i could have limited the losses to six goals and um you know, it been a thirteen goals to seven game, but what was that going to teach my players? And what was that going to do for? We had no fans in Brisbane; they wanted to see something, <laughs> and and um, so a, a, a twenty five goals to sixteen goal loss was was a better thing than the the alternative. You know, it was almost like a gentleman's agreement in a strange sort of way that no one wanted to be super duper negative. And that's mm. almost like 666 when you think about it is almost bringing that back yeah, in yeah. a way, in a very like regimented sort of fashion. Uh, look, uh, blow my cover here. I, I'm, I, I've been telling my mates for 10 years that we need to do this. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I have to show my hand, but it's not to say I don't, agree, I don't see the merit in, other things and whatever, but I, I, I'm, 
that's just anyone who knows me knows that I've I've often been talking about this. But anyway, yeah. but I try and keep it out of the podcast because <laughs> I'll have the fury of Twitter come down on me. Oh, and there are people. Yeah, I'm sort of warming to the changes. Yeah. But um, so when you look back and you talk about tactics and coaches, who did you see as the sort of the biggest innovator in that season in that among season? the coaches? And I, you know, you probably can't comment on some of them because you didn't speak to all of them. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you, you sort of go through the the list of them, and and obviously, I, I mean, I you're not close enough to know, and we don't pretend to know the intricacies of mm. footy tactics. Um. At the time, one that one that was a real innovator at the time was Neil Baum, and mm, mm. it's funny because I'm I'm obviously a Melbourne supporter, but I'm pretty hard on Melbourne in a lot of ways. So we had this basic sort of formation of we should cover every team or most teams, but we Melbourne and a few others, Richmond were in there, and a couple of others where we were like, well, there's not really a story there. And, mm. I, and when the question was put to me, what do you think of Melbourne? I said, nah, there's no story there. But as it, we got talking more and eventually um, I thought more about it. And Neil Bum did bring something very new into it. And he talks about it in the episode. Um, he had this idea, This, uh, as he says, I had this um, such strange idea that when you had the ball you should keep it, not give it back to the other team. <laughs> and that was, but that was, um, we talk about it in, in it, it, it was deemed, it was termed the possession game, which sounds ridiculous now, but that's what it was. Mm. And it was maligned and it was, people would um, yell and scream that we were going backwards or going around in circles. But that was quite an innovation. Um I think David Parkin talks about things that he did during this period, which maybe not so much in 93, but the learnings of 93 brought it back home of empowerment of players. Mm. Um, I mean, Sheedy was always doing things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was always doing things. And, and I think it was mentioned by, by, by Parkin, actually, that he thought Sheedy was the toughest coach to be up against because you knew it was going to be... You could not go in just, just expecting something... And for it to play out, it was always going to change, and it was going to be something different. But he said at the same time, on the on the flip side, that the the good thing with that is that is that you never felt like you're out of a game. <laughs> that he might mm. he might get bored and try something else and give you a, and give you a way in. So those those ones. But then you had Dennis Pagan, who was probably more of an old school mentality, but it worked for North Melbourne, um, who. I mean, that's, you know, probably as big a story as any from that season is that North Melbourne had the, you know, potentially one of the most catastrophic losses in a pre-season game ever. Sacked their coach. <laughs> three weeks, three weeks from the start of the season. Six weeks later, they're top of the ladder and they pretty much stay there the whole year. Yeah. A pretty remarkable story. And, but Pagan was not necessarily doing anything out of this world tactically, but... He was doing something that shifted shifted things for them. Yeah, I think so. I listened to the Balm episode this morning. Actually. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think Footy probably had bigger personalities at this time, players, coaches, and the one that sort of immediately sprang to mind when I listened to the Parkin episode was administrators because you had the towering sort of figure of John mm. Elliott. Um, and even going sort of further back, Richmond had Graham Richmond, yeah. who was such an imposing figure, and that's kind of something that isn't as big a factor in the game today. Well, there's more of them. That so there's more people. It's it's an, an, an interesting something we we I can't remember if we actually touched on this particularly in that in that episode, but the Cameron Schwab episode when he talks about the passing of his father that year and the effect it sort of had on the game. The the difference is and is that back then they might have there may have been ten people working at a club. <laughs> full-time staff working at a club or less. So everyone knew everyone. So I think in some way the cult of that person being... Like, it was always the so-and-so supremo at a, at a footy club. Someone was the so-and-so supremo. Whether they were actually a, a board member or whether they were uh, on staff, it was almost a one-man show. And it was always a one-man show at that time. Mm. It was... We were, during the series we sort of thought well we actually need to talk to some females from this period but there were none <laughs> yeah. as simple as that I mean there weren't not there were none but there were a few but but there it it there wasn't there, there just wasn't anyone involved you know at that level um, 
yeah, I think that's where that those big personalities kind of came from that because who was going to promote the club? Mm. <laughs> John Elliott, Alan McAllister, these big personalities um, would come out and make statements and so forth. And often it was like this is a story about from that period where um, Alan Mc, and the political play of presidents as well, Alan McAllister used to come out every every year they'd, they'd schedule Collingwood Games at Victoria Park or, or they'd, they'd be like well this this game's going to get 80,000 of the MCG and Alan McAllister go well we, yeah but my members will hate me if I move it from Victoria Park so there was almost this agreement where he would come out and um, say not you know there's no way they're going to move games to the MCG then they'd move them <laughs> It was all agreed to. It was all fine. He understood the rationale behind it, but he just said, "Well, I'm going to have to. I have to do that to win that over my constituency." Mm. So, yeah, it's sort of something that went out with, I guess, a little bit more legislation around the game. In the particularly when you think about Carlton and um, where they sort of went in the early 2000s, mm. some of the wheeling and dealing that even someone like Graham Richmond did, you just can't do. So, in a yeah. way, the the AFL era and the amount of rules that were put in kind of killed that. Yeah. Well, that and that. We talk a bit about that, particularly with um, Greg Miller, actually. Mm. But but there was certainly um, the draft had been around since 1986, but it was it was not the draft as we know it because mm. teams still had zones. So if you found a decent 15 year old, 16 year old, 17 year old in your zone you were getting them to play in the under-19, so they were never going to be drafted. They were, they were already yours before they got to a draft. So the draft was really, you know, I'm talking about this in a Victorian sense, the draft was really about picking the eyes out of the sandful and the waffle and, and maybe the odd country league where a kid, yeah. a kid had sort of flown under the radar and not been picked up before. Yeah. Um, or Tassie or wherever else. So if you look at that time, that's what it was. 93 is where it starts to sort of shift. That period was where it starts to shift because the under-19s, are out of the are gone in '91, mm-hmm. so everyone and Essendon really took advantage of that. Was the the last hurrah of their zone? They get Olorenshaw, Mercury, Mercedes, all those. Yeah, guys. and kind of well, they should have built a dynasty off the back of that. Yeah. as early as the early 2000s, mm. where they probably should have won three flags. Yeah, exactly. And that period allowed there's wheeling and dealing. If you you had to scramble to get some kid playing in your under 19s team, how are you going to do it? Well, you're going to find them first didn't have to go through a draft, didn't have to sort of expose them to people. You could do things, well, you can, I mean, it, it wasn't out of the realms of possibility that you could hide them, <laughs> you know, or may move house. So there's, there's millions of stories, well, yeah. there's, there's hundreds of stories of where a recruiter has found some kid, ah, oh, this is the next big thing, He's, you know, a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old playing, you know, suburban underage footy, and all of a sudden something's, no one's seen him yet. They lodged they lodged this sort of uh, this permit to come and play for the under 19s where um, they they don't they live at a, an address that's in their zone. <laughs> so that, that that was a very different time, but but allowed for manipulation, which probably tells a story as to why they went to a system that wasn't yeah. <laughs> going to have manipulation. Absolutely, even the Buckley thing, which is sort of talked yeah. about a lot in the Bears episode, is almost unheard of today. Um, and actually, it was really interesting to listen to that through the prism of watching him as a coach in 2018, mm. which is sort of that nostalgic element that you sort of touched on. Well, I reckon, and, and the Buckley thing is is I think it's important not just for what happened with that, but I'd say, and there's, there's maybe a few um, a few outliers here that are, or examples of, of where this happened later, but really I think Nathan Buckley was the last player who basically held out from going to the going and playing in the AFL. I mean, mm, he played he, a year in the Sandville and won the McGarry Medal. Yeah, right? and he yeah. was he was 21 by that point, and around that I think he was around 2021, but. I can't think of another superstar player that didn't play in the AFL from that point on. He was probably the last one who said, no, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Now, he was always probably going to go and do that. But that's the moment when the draft changed because then everyone, everyone was there to to pick and there wasn't a... Like the draft from 86 through to 93, or actually 86 through to 91, let's say, before the Crows came in, I mean, all of those, 
initial Crows players were picked by AFL clubs. They never never came. They mm. didn't want to. Some did, some did, but but not all, but a lot of them didn't. And that was that point where it was still seen as Sandful, Waffle, VFL, you know, before then. And then I think that was totally washed away in 93 because the success of the Crows, um, the, you know, the Buckley scenario and the fact that, um, you know, teams, teams were, um, interstate teams were all showing some signs mm. and they'd got really under their knees. So there was a, there was a proper draft in place. Yeah. And West Coast had obviously won the flag in 92. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that stood out was the ability that you guys had to sort of track down some of these footy journos who are still eminent footy people, mm-hmm. which I imagine for three guys that are relatively young working in the media industry was a bit of a buzz. You got Baum, you got Flanagan, uh, you got Richard Hines, and the other one was a doco filmmaker maker and her name escapes. Yeah, Anne-Marie Sparkman. That's uh, one, we yeah. also spoke to Bruce Eva from uh, Macquarie. You yeah, did, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, look, I suppose, and this is the starting point for a lot of this, is that while... I have worked in AFL, but not in a media sense. And um, the other two uh, cricket focused that we didn't necessarily have that many great contacts. So if people, we rang people up, they didn't necessarily know who we were. Um, but we, we found our way around to them. Uh, but we did know those people because, you know, Greg Baum also writes on cricket. Bruce Eva is involved in cricket too. Um, and, you know, Richard Hines as well. Mm. So they were almost um, ones that we could get early um, because we had contacts with them. So they were really important. But they also told really good stories about what it was like back then to cover the game and and so forth and and give some really good context to it all. Um, Yeah, so, no, and it was... Look, Martin Flanagan was a buzz, you know, Um, absolutely. I mean, they were all a buzz, but, but Martin Flanagan in particular, because um, I think we all grown up reading and admiring his work. And as I told him, I had actually met him before um, after too many beers at an AFL International Cup function and had a great conversation <laughs> with him, but I have no idea what I talked about and he didn't have any recollection of it either. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, even we were talking off air about just the media technology and I was listening to that as a journalism student now, just going... Like that's yeah. the way they were filing, and I'm just like, this is so ridiculously different. Um, so it's, I think it said a lot about those people that they've adapted to stay in the industry for yeah. so long as well. Um, and the other thing I have to ask is: is there a, a Richmond episode coming? Because as a oh, no, devout Tigers fan, the, well, I need to. No, no, you haven't got to it. There is a Richmond there episode. Is, it's coming. No, 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 it's out. It's there. Oh, there is a Richmond episode. Really? So uh, I'll give you the. You know, did anything happen? We did. We. I don't think anything happened for us in '93. Well, Richo debuting. Well, it's the Richmond episode is is actually a really interesting one. Um, that, yeah. For, well, it's Richmond, but it goes into all sorts of other areas. It's, it's actually probably the most, um, I'd say, difficult episode for us to do, but maybe the most rewarding in a, in a way because it was very very raw. So we interviewed Cameron Schwab, who was CEO of Richmond or general manager. You know, same thing in today's parlance, um, and not only. So we talked about. I'm just giving away the whole episode here, but <laughs> um, we talked about what it was like at Richmond because Richmond were a basket case. They'd had seven, six, seven years. I don't know we we reel off some stats in the episode, but they'd had as bad a six, seven years as perhaps any club in well, certainly the last thirty, thirty years. I, I can't think of a club that had a as worse six or seven years, never anywhere near it. And he was only, he took over as CEO at 24. It's my age now, incidentally. Yeah, took over at 24, um, which is, which is, yeah, it just sounds so silly. So he talked about that and he talked about the challenge and the fact that Richmond almost, you know, folded, folded in, in the preceding years. Um, but talked about that there was a resurgence that, didn't necessarily show at the ladder at the end of the year because they were still down the bottom. Mm. And they made the Foster's Cup grand final and it kind of awakened the the army, which had been asleep for probably seven or eight years because they'd been so bad. And went back to sleep pretty quick. Yeah. Memory. But we did. Well, we had a bit of a, a foray in 1995 as well, which is interesting. Well, well, this is the thing. I think off the back of 93 is that Richmond were never as bad again. So, so 
94, I think they will. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing you go, oh, we were pretty bad at the, some of the I terrible, remember some the pretty bleak days times. as a child. <laughs> but they, they, hadn't, they didn't have a sustained period like this. They had had seven or eight years of just awful, like, it just hadn't happened for them. And that was partly, for, there was all sorts of reasons involved. Um, but they, 90, off the back of 93, so they get John Northey in 93, they ninety four. They have a really good season. They win twelve games, um, just miss out on finals. Ninety five. They have a great run, and then from then on, even though the the, the whole thing about finishing ninth, they're thereabouts most years. Even if they didn't make it, they're thereabouts. Um, whereas, and but the other part of the Cameron Schwab episode is obviously he talks about Richo and um, his first impressions of Richo when he first came and what he showed, but the. Uh, you know, the really sort of sad part of the episode is him relating what happened to his father that year. His father passed away mm. in pretty um, circumstances which would make... I mean, obviously, it's, it's a horrible thing to happen, but then the circumstances didn't... You know, made it worse in a lot of ways. And he talks very openly about that and how he dealt with it and how he still deals with it. So it it's... Um, <laughs> Give it a listen. I think there's about five episodes that I haven't got yeah, to. So yeah. that, that we'll get to be, that one. Might be on my list. I didn't even realise it was there. <laughs> um, now, the final thing I wanted to ask you about is the footy show. I imagine there are some bigwigs over at Channel 9 talking about the future of this. And you, I think even pre-podcast, had written a couple of things about the footy show and where it was going and uh, something even as far back as 2013 where you said you didn't watch it. Um, and it tends to cater for just the weekend footy fans. So how are you going to mourn the footy show if it does die? Um, okay, interesting question. Uh, whatever you think of it, whatever you think of what it is now, the effect it had on footy is enormous and I don't think it's probably not grasped by a lot of people and it's probably forgotten by a lot of people. It had a huge effect. Um, it turned a lot of people onto footy. I think because it became this. Uh, if you go back to the that '93 era around that time, you Monday to Friday there was no footy. You know, you would sports news, sports. You know, the on your nightly news, you would get your footy stories, a few footy stories here and there, but there was nothing. And then that that came along, and it's like it, it opened the door to. Um, won the players. It made players into superstars. It made um, uh, it it showed that prime time TV embrace footy. Um, all this stuff happened. So I, I just hope if it if that's the way it goes, and as it, yeah, I I haven't watched it or I've watched it very intermittently over recent years because it's just it's not for me now. Um, but it is. Its effect it had at that time was huge, huge, and I and I I think anyone who is was around then who um, hates it now, they're lying if they said they they hated it the whole time because it was, it, and I, I I've written something some years ago which I think you obviously found. <laughs> I have this theory that what the footy show did at that time when it started. Um, it directly affected what we know as Friday Night Footy and what Friday Night Footy became. Because if you go back to that time in Melbourne, even as late as 1994, sorry, yeah, 94. So 94 was the first year of the Thursday Night Footy show. In 1994, if a Friday night game was played in Melbourne, it did not screen live into Melbourne. I remember these days. It was bloody horrible. It didn't even screen on delay in 94. In 95, it started screening at 8.30, and that's when Friday Night Footy became its yeah. thing. Yeah, and you used to get Better Homes and Gardens before it. Yeah, yeah, you that did. Was a, that was a bloody rort, but anyway, yeah. carry on. <laughs> but, but I can tell you, before then, it was even worse as such, because you didn't get the full game. You got a replay package. Now, if it was an interstate game, yeah, you'd get the full thing live. That, so if, if they were playing in Adelaide or a Friday night or in Perth or whatever, you get the full thing live. So I, my, my theory on all this is that 94, the footy show is running for an hour and a half, two hours on a Thursday night and it's pulling in ridiculously big ratings, huge ratings. So what does Channel 7 do and what does the league do the next year? They decide, well, instead of us running a highlights package at 9.30 or, you know, truncated sort of replay at 9.30, why don't we just... We can't go live against the gate. That's that's something that we're not, we're not doing yet. 
why don't we just show the full game at 8.30? Because if we can pull half the audience that we pulled the night before who are watching us talk about Friday night, then we're doing really well. And, I mean, what what, what a godsend for Channel 7. They had two hours of promotion for their for their show the next night on a rival network. Yep. But Channel 9 were, you know, was a success and a bonanza for Channel 9 too. So... Um, that changed things. It really changed things. Channel 7 started doing more TV shows about footy off the, ne- the next year. Mm. Um, there's, a, there's a lineage that goes through that, that brings us to Fox footy and SEM and all that sort of stuff, whether you like it or not. It, it brings us there, and that was the point when it, when it changed. Yeah. So more episodes to come? Uh, um, <laughs> there, there's, well, look, there's 20... Uh, episodes out now, though we did we dropped the twenty first, which was actually us talking about music of ninety three to Rowan Conley, which is just a bit of a, a self indulgent thing that we throw <laughs> in there, and also a good a good chance for me to put some late show video clips in there as well. Um, look, we're not quite sure there 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 will be a few things that tie up the loose ends. Yeah, there's a few that we few things that we haven't done yet that we would have liked to have done. Whether we do them now or whether we do them in another form later, we're not too sure yet. Um, but um, the day we're recording this, a, a test series starts in, in Dubai, which means that t- two of, the two team, of our right? members are there and one of them's bought the rights to cover it. So, so it's, I don't think we're going to be doing too many episodes in the next few weeks. <laughs> um, and I, I work in cricket too, so um, I need to Get make, your head in the game. make sure I'm, I'm uh, across everything too. But we certainly want to do more. Um, what it, form it takes and what it means. I mean, a lot of people said, "Oh, you're going to do another year," and yeah, it's, that would be a, that would, could be a, a good way to do it. Um, but a, a year and having it strict to one year is, is a lot of work, and you need to we need to really think about how we do that. So, um, yeah, we hope to do more because we've loved it. Mm. And when you think about just going slightly back to the footy show about sort of the ability to illuminate the place of something like that in the marketplace. How do you feel about that? Is that something that you're quite pleased or proud of in retrospect, looking at the podcast and the uh, work? Yeah, I, I think one of our things that we wanted to do, um, I'll take you back a step. There's, working in sport, there's a couple of books I read as a kid, which I won't say were life changers, but they certainly really helped form my want to work in sport and, and, extension have an interest in sports media and one of them one of them was the the cricket war by gideon hay which was about oh, super world series cricket um and one of them and the other one was football limited by gary lowell which basically charters what happened um pre, pre came out in like 94 95 so it's not it's not 93 but it's basically early 80s the the changing of the game from a suburban Victorian competition to trying to go national and there's a context there that I I think a lot of people don't know about these days um, some people do but even working in these I've worked in both of these sports and and it's not a knock on people but I doubt many people have a clue of where it came from to get there so um, I think it's been good to tell those stories because I've heard, while well, I know them back to front in a lot of ways. I'm well, not back to front, but I know them at a, in a superficial way. Um, hearing the the people there talk about them and hearing people, whether from a younger generation or so forth, um, uh, learn about them has been really good. You know, I think that's that's been a, a really good thing for us to be involved with. Awesome. And so do you want to just give us the Twitter, the Facebook, et cetera, give us the social so our listeners can jump on, although I'm imagining our listeners are probably also your yeah, listeners. I, I, I usually take a couple of takes to do this because I, I stumble <laughs> over it. So on Facebook, it's that was – no, not that was. On Facebook, it's the greatest season that was 1993. If you look that up, you'll find us. On Twitter, it's at TGST. W1993 or use the hashtag 93 that's word 90 numeral 3 um, yeah but even if you haven't heard it obviously the great thing about podcasts is it all sits there so it's while we're sort of coming to the end of the series they all sit there and 
as we've discovered today, you didn't know there was a Richmond episode, so you can jump onto that. Shot know. myself in the foot there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's it, like, in all honesty, the, the, the support's been absolutely fantastic. We didn't imagine people would go for it as much as they did, and um, we really appreciate anyone who wants to talk about it. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much for coming and talk to 